You are listening to the One Church TO podcast. We are an imperfect community who are attempting to help people know God, love people, and make an impact in our city of Toronto, Canada. At the time of this podcast episode, we are currently experiencing the COVID-19 worldwide pandemic. So you'll start to notice in this same feed, we'll be providing some extra episodes alongside our weekend teaching to encourage you throughout the week. But we hope today's teaching is valuable for whatever season or situation that you find yourself in. Happy Easter. I I love these guys. What a great job they've done musically all weekend for us. And actually, if you stick around to the end of the gathering, they have another surprise for you. But I love that theme song because really the two words, mission impossible, really embody everything that Easter is about. Easter's about a mission. If you're going to understand Easter, you need to understand the idea behind it is that it was a completion of a mission. Now, a mission is defined as an important assignment, typically involving travel. I love that definition because I got thinking this week, who has more frequent flyer points than Jesus? I mean, leaving his home in heaven, coming to earth, dying here on earth, descending into the bowels of the earth, being risen from the grave to the earth, and then ascending back to the Father in heaven, sitting at the right hand, interceding for all of us. I just said a whole mouthful. But the point is simply, I mean, Jesus was on mission. His mission was to become human, to come near to us, to enter into our brokenness and pain, and like a sponge, to absorb all the toxicity in this world. Now, only someone of immense purity and holiness could absorb all of that toxicity and survive. So Easter is a celebration. Now, the question is, why would he do this? Well, the author, Henry Nouwen, says this. He says, Jesus' whole life and mission involve accepting powerlessness and revealing in this powerlessness the limitlessness of God's love. So Easter, at its heart, is Jesus embraced powerlessness. He became human in order to demonstrate the limitlessness of God's love. Easter is a celebration, a declaration, really, of the limitlessness of God's love. See, it's, it's a declaration of the completion of this mission that sent, was centuries old, that when our first ancestors severed their relationship with God in an act of rebellion... Jesus rolled up his sleeves and began this long mission of redeeming back all of his creation to himself. And Easter is the culmination of that moment. But it's not just a mission. We also know that Easter is impossible. Really, it's impossible. Here's the definition for the word impossible. Not possible. (laughs) This is kind of funny. That cannot occur, exist, or be done. So listen, if if you're a kid and you're watching online right now, 
I would like you at the count of three to say the word impossible as loud as you can. As loud as you can. I know, I know. The, if you've got adults around you, they're not going to want you to do this. But you do this with me. Ready? One, two, three. Impossible. Facts. Easter is really an impossible moment. At the heart of Christianity is an impossible belief. You see, it's not impossible that Jesus was born here on earth because you wouldn't find a credible historian that would challenge that. There's just way too much evidence. Jesus was a real person. He walked among us. And as unbelievable as a sacrificial death is, and we learned about that on Good Friday with Pastor Keith, as unbelievable as that is, it's certainly not in the realm of the impossible because we all know what it's like to have a birth date. Every one of us has one of those. But we also have a a death date. Everyone has an expiry date on them. But what makes Easter impossible is talk of a resurrection date. I mean, the resurrection, that's not natural. That's supernatural. So today, brief moments we have together, I want to explore the impossible with you. So I'd ask you, even if you're a bit of a cynic, skeptic, maybe you're tuning in with someone because there's nothing better on right now, well, I'm glad you're with us. But if you would, just for a moment, just open yourself up to the idea of the impossible. I find it interesting, at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, Mary, the mother of Jesus, she was kind of closed to the impossible. She struggled when an angel came to her and said, listen, you're going to have a child and it's going to be miraculous, a a virgin pregnancy. She was like, uh, uh, she was struggled with the impossible. And the words the angel shared with her are the words I'm going to ask you to carry throughout this message and we'll end this message with it too. Here's what the angel said in response to her doubt. He said this, for nothing will be impossible with God. Can, can you say that out loud with me together? For nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. Now, take that verse, tuck it into your back pocket, because I'm going to take you down a road. We're going to journey down a road of the impossible. If you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 24. We're going to start in verse 13. Get these next couple of minutes because it puts up the context for the whole story. We're spending all of our time in Luke chapter uh, 24, verses 13 to 32. Here's the story. There's two people. Cleopas is the name of one of the persons. The other person is unnamed. Many people believe it's his wife. So think of it, a husband and wife, and they're leaving Jerusalem down a dusty Middle Eastern road. And it's a, they're going on a 12-kilometer journey. They're walking 12 kilometers from Jerusalem to a village called Emmaus. And along that journey, an unrecognized stranger comes up to them and begins a conversation. And the conversation is about Jesus. Now, here's the interesting thing. Because we're the readers and we know how the story goes. We know that that unrecognized stranger is actually the person of Jesus who's been recently risen from the grave. But they don't know who he is. And with that in mind, they go over the events. This person comes up to them and says, hey, what's troubling you? Or what are you talking about? And they begin to share with this unrecognized stranger the events of the trial and the crucifixion, and the death of Jesus. In fact, they kind of talk about it a little bit in verse 19. They start this way. They said to the stranger, Cleopas says this, he was a prophet who did powerful miracles 
And he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. Cleopas is describing what Jesus was like to this unrecognized stranger. And he goes on to describe the expectations that they had in Jesus. He says this, he had, we had hoped. And when it says we, it means all the followers, the people that were following Jesus at that time. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. So they had hoped, they were hoping that Jesus was coming and he's this mighty prophet and teacher that he was going to free them from the oppression of the Roman Empire. That's why the crucifixion and death of Jesus was so devastating. These were people who had pushed all their chips into the middle of the table, little poker reference. And they said, listen, we're all in with Jesus. And then the crucifixion happened. And Jesus was dead and gone. And this is why they're so in, despondent here in such a place of despair. And when I was reading this text over in preparation for this Easter weekend, I couldn't help but ask and think, friends, where do your hopes reside? Where do your hopes live? Where do you store your confidence? Where do you keep your confidence safe? Where do you store that? What bank holds your trust? I've asked myself that a few times over these last number of weeks. Friends, Jonathan, where's your confidence coming from in this moment? Where's your hope coming from in this moment? I, I had a couple of conversations in the last couple of weeks with two people I, I admire them greatly. One's an economist and one's an epidemiologist. <laughs> it's funny, before this COVID-19 thing, I don't know if I knew what an epidemiologist was. <laughs> but I had conversations with the two of them and I, individually, and I found their conversations stimulating because they, were, they, they, just, they just were spitting bars of facts, just facts. But their conversation was clarifying and sobering. And I left those two conversations it's funny, at the back end of the one about the economists, because they were talking about where things could possibly go, and it was quite sobering. And on the back of that, I couldn't help but remember. It's funny how I think God brought this to my memory in that moment. I remember my grandmother. Her name was Della McKnight, and she's gone and been with the Lord now for a number of years. But well into her 90s, she'd be playing her piano, and she'd always sing every day and play every day. And I've heard her sing this line many times and it came back to my memory in that moment. Because all I could think of is that truth that held her through the Great Depression and the Great War, I felt courage in that moment. I just said, that truth will hold me through this moment. She would sing this simple verse, my hope is built, it's constructed, it's foundationally built on nothing less than Jesus Christ, my righteousness. You see, Cleopas and his wife and all of us, we have a tendency to place our confidence in fragile systems, fragile ideologies, and fragile institutions. In fact, in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, there's a nation, and, and they're really an advanced nation. If you think of, you know, we have first and third world nations, they were a first world nation. They were an advanced nation. They're called the Edomites in Scripture. And the Edomites had uh, the intellectually wise of that day, some of the most elite intellectual thinkers of the day. They had, it's interesting, it says that they had great fortifications in the mountains. So they were like, they felt uh, that they were invincible. They felt invincible in that moment. They had great riches. So their 
ideology or their thought of them being invincible led to them actually being quite arrogant. And their arrogance closed, it's fascinating when you read this in scripture, their arrogance closed their ears to the cries of the marginalized, the vulnerable, and the defenseless. Their half-brother was the nation of Israel. Israel was under attack and they were trying to flee. And the Edomites, not only did they not give them refuge, they stopped them and handed them over to the enemy. See, they were okay. Listen, as long as we're okay, we're all, everyone's okay. It doesn't really matter. But there's interesting, a prophet named Obadiah came with a message from God for the Edomites. The prophet Obadiah said this, you thought you were so great, perched high among the rocks, king of the mountain, thinking to yourself, nobody can get to me. Nobody can touch me. Think again. Even if, like an angel, or like an eagle, you hang out on a high cliff face, even if you build your nest in the stars, this is what God says to the Edomites, I'll bring you down to earth. I couldn't help but think through this moment, friends. We've been in this moment where we get a choice. We can humble ourselves or we will be humbled. We're in a moment where all of a sudden, all the things we trusted in and the invincibility we may have felt has kind of, kind of scattered. It's left us. It's in these moments that we realize we, and I say me, we've placed our confidence and hope in fragile institution and ideologies. Some of us, and some of you are listening, you know you, you've done this too. Some of us, we place our hope and trust in capitalism, in liberalism, in conservatism. We placed our hope in socialism or we placed our trust in governments or banks or in advancements in technology. And then a little virus, naked, the naked eye can't even see, has brought the economies of the worlds of the strongest and greatest nations to its knees, humbled it in that moment. It's sobering. Now, you might be saying, if you're following the story, you might be going, hey, Jonathan, though, you said Cleopas and his wife put their confidence in Jesus. Well, they put their confidence in a version of Jesus, a vision they had for Jesus. They did, like you and I often do when we encounter Jesus for the first time on the road of life. They had the right person. They had the right person, but they had the wrong plot. They had the right person in Jesus, but they had the wrong plot. See, the plot that Cleopas and his wife and all of those followers of Jesus had originally was that Jesus was going to set them free from the Roman oppression. And so the idea, they thought they were gonna, he was going to defeat the pagan Roman Empire, not die at their hands. And maybe, maybe you've felt the same thing. Maybe you've had uh, the right person but the wrong plot. See, some of us, when we encounter Jesus for the first time, we see Jesus more like this, a little bit of aloe vera gel. I'm a, I used to have red hair. You can't tell now. But I was a redhead. I used to roof in the summers during college. And, you know, I got sunburns, nothing worse than me in a redhead on a hot summer day on a roof. And I would take this aloe vera gel and I would put it on my sunburn and it would just soothe me. It would just take away the pain. And some of us, we have the right person, but we treat Jesus more like he's aloe vera gel. Someone that we just applied when things get hot or desperate. 
Some of us, we treat Jesus more like a bulletproof vest. <laughs> and, and, you, and you try to get enough Jesus into your kids and around your family so that no weapon formed against you would prosper. And we think that somehow, if we get enough Jesus, then stuff won't happen to us in life. Our, things won't occur that they won't rain on the just, just the unjust. Here's the problem with all of those things. When you have the right person in the wrong plot, the problem is when life comes flooding in like it did for Cleopas and his wife, you're left thinking that you had the wrong person. Because Jesus would never have let this happen. Because you're so bought into the plot and you've elevated the plot over the person. Friends, I want you to know, if you're holding on to Jesus, no matter how dark or difficult it is, you have the right person. Here's the problem when you have the wrong plot, though. When you have the wrong plot, you don't see clearly. And you won't see things clearly. In, in Luke chapter 24, verse 20, Cleopas turns to this unrecognized stranger and he utters three words, three words of total and utter defeat. He says this, they crucified him and put a period right on the end, over now, how you understand those three words determines how you say them. For, for Cleopas and his wife and all of those followers of Jesus, and that those three days after Jesus had died and he's buried in the grave, this was a declaration of lament. It was a declaration of loss. It's over, folks. A little Vince Carterism. It's over. Yet, yet, for these centuries long, for believers, followers of Jesus, and even for these people, within that very day and the weeks that come, this wouldn't be a declaration of lament. This, these three same words would become a declaration of victory. They crucified him. Now, now we can know that we have a redeemer. For them, they discovered in this story and in the weeks ahead that what felt like an ending was in fact a beginning. I can't help but wonder, and I don't want to make light of any of the circumstances that any of you are facing or what our culture and world are facing right now, but man, I can't help but think that there's a beginning in this that hidden in this terrible, terrible moment in history is a comeback. I can't help but think, and friends, I feel confident that God is saying this, that all things will work together for good for those who loved him and who are called according to his purpose. Friends, I, I have this stirring inside of me that God is on the move. God is on the move in this moment. So back to our conversation Cleopas is still talking, and he's, he's, he's getting it all out of him. And then he reflects. He says to the stranger on this road, he said, but there's some rumors in Jerusalem. Here's what he says. He says, then some women from our group of his followers were at his tomb early in the morning, and they came back with an amazing report. They said, his body was missing, and they had seen angels who told him, Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive? Uh, friend, kids, I need your help again. One, two, three. Impossible. I mean, it's not possible that he's alive. 
that, that defies all of our natural, rational, logical thinking. Yet in this moment, it's amazing, the conversation begins to switch. Up until this point, the stranger, unrecognized Eclipus and his wife, had been content to let them do all the talking. They didn't even understand as they stood or walked along that, that dusty Middle Eastern road from Jerusalem to Emmaus, that as they reflected on the great loss they had just experienced, that Jesus was dead and in a grave at the hands of the Romans. They didn't realize the whole time they were in the presence of the resurrection. They were in the presence of greatness itself. I've been there many times. I've been in moments where I had no idea that I was in the very presence of the resurrection. And you know why I didn't? Because I didn't feel like Jesus was there. Because the circumstances around me just didn't add up. I didn't believe I had the wrong plot. I didn't believe that things could happen to me as a follower of Jesus. I, I thought he wasn't even there. I thought he was hiding from me in that moment. And then Jesus breaks in with the conversation. And he begins to do something very special. Over the next two to three hours in this long walk, he begins to take all of their confusion, all of the facts of the last number of days, and he puts it in context with the larger narrative of Scripture. And he helps them to see. He's doing something very special. He's taking their chaos... And with his words, he's creating order in their mess, just like the God of Genesis did. Jesus, at the creation story, takes the chaos of this world and he puts it into order and something beautiful comes out of it. And that's what Jesus does for you and me. Jesus takes our chaos and he brings order. I don't know how many of you are right here today. Uh, you know, last weekend, or on Good Friday, Pastor Keith vulnerably shared just about the loss of his, his older brother. We pray with him, and we, I know he's mourning, but it's different now. I have friends right now where, where his wife is in hospital. He hasn't seen her in so many days now, and it's critically important. It's dangerous. It's difficult. And it can feel like in those moments of darkness, you're all alone. Where is Jesus? Friends, he's as close as he was to Cleopas and his wife, and they couldn't recognize him, but he was right there. If you're going through something, on the bottom right-hand corner of your screen is a little live prayer button. If you press that, one of our pastors or hosts, they're, they're going to pray with you individually. Let, let, let us come close to you in this moment. Let you, I, I want you to experience Jesus in the closeness that he revealed to to Cleopas and his wife, what didn't make sense to them at the time, he began to explain so they actually understood that it actually made perfect sense. Now, friends, this is quite amazing. I don't want you to miss this in this story. Luke does something pretty amazing. Now, we're spending the whole year in the gospel of Luke as a church, but I want you to catch this because it's really important. In Luke chapter 2, right at the beginning, we started our series looking at this. In Luke 2, there's a couple. Their names are Mary and Joseph. And they're on a road leaving Jerusalem. And they get down that road and they're traveling down that road and all of a sudden they realize Jesus isn't with them. 
So they go back. They're looking for, Jerusalem, for Jesus for three days, it says in Luke chapter 2. They search for Jesus. And when they find him, they find him in the temple. He's a 12-year-old boy at the time. And, and he says to them, didn't you know I had to be about my father's work? Here we are in Luke 24, the last story in Gospel of Luke. And we have a couple. And they're leaving Jerusalem. And for three days, they haven't been able to find Jesus. For three days, they're, they're left in their confusion and pain and what's going on, and they can't find Jesus. And when Jesus finally reveals himself to them at the end of the story, it's almost as if they're saying, Jesus is saying, didn't you know, guys, I had to be about my father's mission? Friends, I don't know who you are. I don't know where you are. But if you've been looking for Jesus, he's been looking for you. If you feel like Jesus is hidden to you right now, I really want to encourage you to take a step out of this Easter weekend gathering. And as Pastor Matt mentioned earlier, I'd encourage you to, to go to Alpha. It doesn't matter where in the world you're viewing from. You can attend our digital Alphas and be a part of that. Just go to onechurch.to slash connect. Because Jesus is not hiding himself from you. Maybe, maybe, maybe we haven't opened our eyes. And I'll, I'll, I'll more on that in a moment. Here's the interesting thing. The story continues. They arrive in the village of Emmaus. Finally, they get to the end of their destination. And as they do, Cleopas and his wife, they've enjoyed their conversation with this man. In fact, if you keep reading Luke 24, you realize they really enjoyed this conversation. They ask him, hey, come and stay for a meal. Come into our house. Stay for a meal. So he comes in. And they sit down for a simple meal. And at that meal, everything changes. Jesus takes over the meal. Remember, if you invite guests over to your house, you serve them. He instead takes the bread and breaks it and blesses it and serves them. Here's what it says in Luke 24, verse 31. When he broke and blessed the bread, it says, suddenly, and these are important words, their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Their eyes were opened and they recognized them. Again, I told you, Luke is doing something really significant here. Here's this idea. There, this is a simple meal, but this meal changes everything, friends. This is actually a declaration of supreme victory. See, the very first meal recorded in the entire Bible happened centuries before, and it was with Adam and Eve. And it's a meal that was heavy in significance. Here's how that meal went. It says this, the woman took some fruit and she ate it. She gave it to her husband and he ate it. Look at these words. Then the eyes of them both were opened and they knew they were naked. Friends, that first meal, you can trace the roots of death itself back to that first meal. The sorrow and decay that we experience in this world is from that first meal. The COVID-19 and cancer and financial meltdowns and all the brokenness and evil we see in this world, it's from that first meal. And notice that it says that their eyes were open. Open to what? Well, you got to understand, before this first meal, they only saw possibilities. There was nothing, there was, there was no word impossible because there was nothing that was impossible. 
But all of a sudden, their eyes are opened when they choose to sever their connection from God to impossibilities. Fast forward to Luke 24. In Luke 24, this is the very first meal of the new creation. The very first meal recorded after Jesus is risen from the grave. And it says this. It says, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Then the eyes of them both were opened and they recognized him. See, previous to this, their eyes were closed to the impossible. All they could do is see the possible. And all of a sudden, their eyes are open and they realize that there's nothing impossible for God. Jesus is alive Jesus is resurrected from the grave. Death has been beaten. Now in God's new creation, there are only new possibilities. It's the resurrection. Friends, let's conclude this teaching. This is beautiful. I hope this is hope-filled for you. In this very moment, this is the core of what Christianity is all about. At the core of Christianity is the impossible. The impossible. The Christian life begins at the place of impossibility, the tomb. It's ironic, it's not the plot we thought it would be, that the place where life erupts is actually at a place where life ended. It's in a tomb, the place of impossibility, that Jesus would be raised from the grave. Now, this is fascinating because before this, we knew we all had a birth date. Every one of you has a birth date. If any of you have a birthday today, happy birthday. And we also know because we see life around us, everyone will have a death date. We don't like to talk about it. We like to ignore it. But maybe you've even been preoccupied with it in these days. Here's the truth of what Jesus did for you and me. Because of what he did for you and me, now we can have a resurrection date. We can have a resurrection date because of what he's done for us. The Apostle Paul says it well. In Romans chapter 8, he reminds us, he says this, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead. Who raised Jesus from the dead? The Spirit of God did. Lives in you. For anyone who's a follower of Jesus, who surrenders to him, that same Spirit lives in you. So here's the promise. And just as God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same spirit living within you. Notice what Paul is saying. Paul's saying this, that Jesus did not raise himself. He was raised up. And here's the truth for you and me. And it requires humility to embrace this type of truth. That we do not raise ourselves. We are raised up. Friends, you can't raise yourself up. It doesn't matter how much you give to charities or how much good you do in this world or how much or the lack of bad things you do in this world. You can't do enough to raise yourself up. If Jesus couldn't raise himself up, but the Spirit would raise him up, you need help. You need the Spirit to open your eyes to the person of Jesus on the roadway of life so that you can turn to him and experience new life. Here's my concern every Easter weekend or Christmas weekend. I'm a pastor. I've been pastoring for 28 some odd years. 
My concern is you come to a gathering moment like this and you're moved, and that's, that's great. Or maybe you're a little bored because you're like, I've heard this message before. Or maybe you're comforted in moments like this because maybe you're just re-engaging with God because you remember something from your childhood and you're reaching for something bigger and better than what this world has to offer. I, I'm, I hope you feel moved. I, I hope you feel comforted. But you've got to understand the good news of what Jesus did for you. It wasn't to comfort you. It was to change you. It wasn't to just move you. It was to transform you. God wants to make you new from the inside out. So friends, I want to pray with you this morning. Easter 2020. That the reality of what Cleopas and his wife experienced the hope that erupted in that moment, that the curse was now broken. Now we can have a resurrection date. That truth could be in you also. Let's pray. Father, on this Easter weekend, I thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. What an unbelievable gift that he would lay down his life to pay for this mess that we've gotten ourselves into in this world. And as unbelievable as that is, God, without the resurrection, the impossible happening, God, death would be the final chapter in our lives. We'd have a birth date and a death date. But because Jesus is alive in the same spirit of God that raised him from the dead, now we too can be raised up. So friends, if you want to pray with me, maybe you're at a place of decision and following Jesus, you can just say this simple prayer with me. My words aren't special, but if they help you, you pray them along with me. Jesus, open my eyes to see you. I surrender my life to you. Forgive me of all the things that I've done that have hurt other people. Forgive me for the things I've done that have harmed myself. And forgive me for the things I've done that have put a barrier between you and me. I don't want to have anything between you and me anymore. And God, fill me with that spirit that Paul talked about in Romans 8. The same spirit that raised you from the dead. And give me the courage and confidence that Easter speaks into my life. I know this, God and anchor it in my life from this day forward. That even when my time comes, I know this, to be absent from the body will be to be present with you. I live forever and rule and reign with you. So God, I invite your Holy Spirit to clean me out and to make me brand new. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen. Friends, if you said that prayer, I really want to encourage you to consider going to Alpha. In fact, there's a little banner there that says, I, I just prayed to follow Jesus. Just click on that banner and you're going to see a little video from me and some next steps that will help you get started in a great relationship with God. And if you're here and maybe, maybe you're not ready to pray that prayer, maybe you say, Jonathan, I need some more facts filled in about the resurrection. Hey, uh, join us on Alpha. You can ask any question you want, anytime. Uh, we can listen to you. You can listen. It's going to be a great time. Make sure you join us for Alpha, onechurch.to slash connect. 
Well, I told you we have a little bit of a surprise at the end of our gathering. Our, our music team has written a brand new worship course uh, just to embody this whole weekend of unbelievable and impossible events that was made possible through the person of Jesus Christ. I hope this encourages your faith. Happy Easter, friends. We love you, church. God bless you. Happy Easter. We're glad you joined us for today's teaching. If you're listening in right now because your church isn't able to meet, we welcome you and we ask that you keep supporting your church community with all the engagement and giving options that they have. If you need any assistance in this unprecedented season, please let us know by email at care at onechurch.to or by texting the word CARE to 416-291-9575 or even just giving us a call at the same number. All other events and programming can be found at onechurch.to slash connect.